Today, Paula Hannes is going to talk to us about how we as Catholics can create more meaningful connections between people and the Word of God. If you'd come today, you could have reached a whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. This single, song, this single line from the song, Jesus Christ Superstar, has had a strong influence on Paul and Hannes as a teenager. Excited to live in a time that had the opportunity to spread the good word globally and join nations, Paula believes she chose mass communications as her field of study because of this. Her academic research was on the branding process, discovering how strong brands are able to create meaningful connections with their audiences. She learned that strong brands give very careful consideration to the moments of engagement between people and the brand experience. Through her six-year educational journey in college and graduate school, one thought kept haunting her. If Apple Computer and Starbucks Coffee could change the customer experience with things as boring as a computer and a cup of coffee, surely the Catholic Church can transform something as inspiring as the Word of God into a more meaningful experience. Then, at the 2012 Christ Our Life Conference in Des Moines, through the words of guest speakers Cardinal Wuerl of Washington, D.C., and Archbishop Garcia Siller of San Antonio, she found out that the church is articulating this meaningful experience with the new evangelization. Today, Paula is going to share with us one facet of this process. From Archbishop Garcia Siller's talk at the 2012 conference, Segmenting and Defining the Audiences. Please welcome Paula Hannes. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Pete, for inviting me. This will be really This will be different. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start. When Archbishop Garcia Siller of San Antonio stood up in front of a crowd of 5,000 people at the Christ Our Life Conference in 2012, he broke the world into four groups of people. He said there are believers, there are non-believers, those that are seeking, and those that are drifting away. In fact, this point, this idea of placing people into four categories was so valuable to his message that in the short time he had with us, he repeated it four times. At the end of his talk, he raised his hands and said, remember, believers, seekers, drifters, and non-believers. It took four times, but in the end, I understood his point. Archbishop Garcia Siller, was it wasn't wearing the hat of the archbishop or of a priest in front of a congregation anymore. He was wearing the hat of a marketing director. <laughs> and what he was doing 
was he was talking to us, not his congregation, but he was making us all his sales and marketing team. And what he was doing as a good marketing director, as they all do, was segmenting the audience. He segmented the audience so we could start targeting our messages. He then explained, with regards to our call to be witnesses and the new evangelization, connecting with believers is his job, just like it was the archbishop's job. Connecting with those that believe is the job of the priest, the minister, the spiritual leader, the rabbi, anyone like that. It's their job to bring the word of God to believers. With regards to non-believers, I love this part. He strongly suggested that we leave that part up to God and to the Holy Spirit because odds are it's going to take some sort of a miracle in order to change their the path that they're on. So um, he said not even us priests can do that. <laughs> I thought that was really kind of funny. But he said the task, um, he said our task as believers is to deliver the message, the good news, to deliver the message of God, the word of God, to seekers and to drifters. That's our job. I think the Archbishop, that's a lot what he was talking about too. Through our, through our actions, and maybe sometimes our words. He said that in the end, that the drifters and the seekers, they listen better to us than they do to the clergy. And that's why it's our job. And in a way, I mean, I'm just kind of going off this. Maybe that's why Jesus came to earth. You know, it was to give us an example of how to, how to do this, you know, in our lives. Why he took the fat flesh. He said that we don't have to change the message itself. The word of God is perfect. So it, we don't change the message, but we're changing the way we deliver it and the way that we say it. We need to change the way we proclaim and celebrate the Word of God. He then encouraged us to cast our foolish pride and our egos aside and start to act authentically from our soul. He used words like illumination and inspiration, and he challenged us to be enthusiastic, to be creative, and to be bold. He continued. He said they, the seekers, the drifters, and the non-believers, they say that the word is irrelevant. The message is irrelevant. They say that we are out of touch. And they also say that we're hypocrites. So why should they listen to us? Why should they see or, or understand? Why should, they, why should they listen to us? And then he did what great, all great spiritual leaders do. He left the stage. And I'm like getting it, you know? I mean, I'm, this is rocking and rolling to me, okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, he's finally saying exactly what I've been wanting to hear all this time, that the word is perfect, but it's not necessarily the word, and they do think we're hypocrites, and they do think that, because we are. We are hypocrites, we're human, you know? Sometimes we, we act the wrong way. So he's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, come back, come back, because I love what you're saying, but you haven't given me the directions. 
you haven't given me the instructions on how to do this. So, you know, you're like, set me up, and then now where do I go after this, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting here going, ah! And um, so, so I'm sitting here going, okay, let's, let's review. So the drifters and the seekers listen better to us, the believers, than they do the clergy. And he wants us to proclaim the good news to a group of people that believe the message that we have is totally irrelevant, okay? Believe that we, as believers, are totally out of touch with reality and what's happening in the world. I love that when they talk about in the world and out of the world. It's just like one of my favorite things. Um, one of my favorite concepts is, you know, in the world and out of the world. Um, and we are. We are a bunch of hypocrites. So, so, so we're supposed, we're tasked with this, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, but for a lot of my life I thought, you know, that's your job. That's not our job. You know, why, why aren't, you know, easy to throw it off onto us, right? Let's add one more part of, to this equation. He wants us to do it in bold, creative, and enthusiastic ways. Well, you know, seriously? <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking while I'm talking about, you know, talking about the speech, and that's like how I felt when Pete called me up and said, oh, and by the way, aren't you just, the Archbishop's going to talk, give two talks before yours. Well, I've heard the Archbishop talk, and I want you to know, I told Pete, I'm not doing it. Because <laughs> I'm not following the Archbishop. I'll do it ahead of him, but I'm not following him. <laughs> and Pete's like, no, you are. <laughs> so no sane person would do this, right? I mean, he's, he's engaging, he's wonderful. So let me introduce myself. I'm Paula Hannes, and I'm the insane one in the group here. So not only did I say yes to the Archbishop, to following, I'm sorry, yes to the, following the Archbishop, but I also have been trying to connect, I mean, you kind of ponder, this is, honestly, I would suggest anyone doing this, because this is really a good, a good self-reflective uh, the Archbishop said that we need to pray every day. Well, every day I kind of reflected on what I was going to say. And that started, I think, last September, maybe even August. And so, you know, every day, and so it kind of replaced prayer for a while, but it's a great personal journey. And so I'm sitting here going, okay, I, I get how to connect with people. I know all that. Yes, I know I'm supposed to be here. But why am I supposed to be here? Why is the message about connecting with seekers and drifters? Why have you chosen me for that to be my part of my life and my message and my way to be a witness? Why, why is that? And, you know, I got to tell you because, I mean, once again, I was a speech, but, but, you know, also for, okay, let me count. At least for 16 years of my marriage, I'm asking, why am I here? <laughs> why are you putting me in this situation in, in, in the, within the world? So um, out there, and you know, why are you? And once I embrace that fact that that's where I am, and this is a lesson, and this is my journey, and this is my faith journey where I'm supposed to be, then I realized, what am I going to learn from this? And I started trying to learn. So then when I sat back, you know, back in... September and I'm, I'm reflecting on all of this kind of stuff and I'm realizing I am here because of who I am. God chose me right now to do this today because of who I am. And it's because of the family I was born into and it's because of the family that I married into. 
And I've got to, um, I've got to say that they're not bad people. They're not at all. But at the same time, um, in my, my faith journey has been different than a lot of the people that I've been associated with. I really, uh, um, they're like, let's see, uh, Archbishop called them um, elementary. Maybe it's elementary in their faith journey. I love that term too. I don't know about you guys, but I wrote that one down. That it was this finger, the pointer finger on this hand, which is the right hand, where he said that it's our job to continue learning and to continue seeking the answers, okay? So, so we're all, in a way, we're all seeking, and we're all, I, I hope you're not drifters, we're all believers, and we're all a little bit of seekers. We're supposed to continually be seeking and trying to find those answers. So when I say that it's the family I, born, I was born into and the family I married into, it's not that they're not believers, and it's not that they're not, they're drifters or they're seekers, but that is a part of my story and my journey. Was, was where I was or where I am in my life. So, um, Archbishop, or let's see, Archbishop Garcia Siller calls them drifters and seekers. In Pope Francis's book, um, The Church of Mercy, he calls them the spiritual poor. And I like us to remember that term because sometimes when we think of the poor and when Pope Francis and the Bible and all of that talks about the poor and helping the poor, and I think that's what Archbishop Jenkels was trying to say was that there's other kinds of poor. And in my journey, my faith journey has always been the spiritual poor. The rest of you do a great job with those that are materialistically poor, and also um, a lot of people take care of the materialistic poor. So I've always felt my faith journey is more for the spiritually poor, and so that's what I'm talk. That's what I like to talk about. The other thing that I love, this is some of the things I love when I do my research, is uh, Pope Francis calls uh, this group of people those living on the outskirts, and then. In um, in a message on 2000, and, I'm sorry. In a message on September 2nd, 2012, at Medjugorje, our Blessed Mother used the phrase, "Those of your children who have not yet come to know the love of the Heavenly Father." I, on the other hand, call them my friends and my family. <laughs> so, so I recently overheard my husband. Uh, call me a closet religious person to actually it was my brother-in-law who I was staying overnight last night with and he said what are you talking about am I in, am I in your talk and I said well not really you're not really in my talk it's just this one time when you looked at my husband really crazy and because I had said something somewhat you know like a believer would or a witness would and he looked at him like gosh I've never heard those words out of her mouth before and my husband goes well she's really just a closet religious person <laughs> she hasn't come out of the closet so and it is it is a good it is a good way to describe my faith journey over the last over most of my adult life you see I grew up in Des Moines and I went to Catholic schools. I went to uh, 12 years of them. I went to Dowling High School. Uh, I had a clear, a very clear understanding of the importance of prayer in my life. John Leonetti, I don't know if any of you have heard him, but he came and talked to our parish, and he says, life is messy. And that's where we find God, in those messes. And so every time my life got messy, I immediately went to prayer. I went to God. 
Whereas there's a lot of people not doing that out there when they're, when, this is, uh, when they're in their messes. And I found out a lot of people close to me aren't doing that. And I was shocked to find out there's a whole world out there that don't think this way. There's a whole world out there of people that don't use prayer and the word of God to comfort them in difficult moments or to help them with their day-to-day -day challenges. In fact, not only is the whole concept of profound faith foreign, foreign to them and not in their vocabulary, but they're also willing to mock and ridicule you if you even mention being by, guided by faith or having a trust in the Lord. I gotta tell you, this was totally foreign to me. I mean, I grew up in a you know in the whole Catholic thing and going to schools. We we loved our faith, uh, and and we did not ridicule people. We we joined in on them. So I was living not only in for in within my uh, personal lives and within my friends and my communities, but also in my faith community because I grew up in a in a church that. Where celebrating the Word of God in bold, creative, and enthusiastic ways was expected. It was a way of life. That's what we did. Trying to be illuminated and inspired, that's what we tried to do. But I go out into these smaller communities and stuff. Now, that's this group here, I would say that's what I'm talking about. I grew up in a group, a faith group more like yours, where we were comfortable within each other and within our surroundings. But then once you get out there and you know, think about how big Cedar Rapids is. And, you know, how many of you are here, right? Well, you think about a town of 6,500 or 8,500. The group keeps getting smaller and smaller, and there are very few people that feel this way. So you're kind of living in a place, you know, where you're, you're not very comfortable because there aren't many people that think your way. How I long to come out of my closet, start celebrating again with passion and joy. One of the things that I love most about our faith is that we believe our faith formation is a journey. It's not necessarily one instance that pushes us closer to God, but a culmination of a lot of small instances. I think the Archbishop said, I've been baptized over and over and over, or reborn or whatever, over and over again. Well, that's kind of it. That's how what we believe. One of the small instances that happened to me about 15 years ago was when my oldest son was confirmed. This incident changed the way I started proclaiming and celebrating the good news within my immediate family. It was towards the end of the service. I'm going to try not to read it, okay? So it was towards the end of the service, and we were all packed in the church, shoulder to shoulder. And I was, and we, my family, we were in the back pew. And then in the pew in front of us, was the family of one of my son's classmates. His name was Gilberto, and he, like my son, was one of the confirmation candidates. I was really surprised to see Gilberto's grandparents there because they're from Puerto Rico. And I'm sitting here like, boy, did I drop the ball. I didn't even tell my son's grandparents that he was being confirmed, let alone invite them to the service. I mean, we were thinking of confirmation as, oh gosh, we don't get to go to that ball game today. We have to go do confirmation, you know. So um, that's kind of the road we were going on. And uh, it was at the time of the blessing. And when everybody, the service is almost over and everybody raises up their hand to bless the new confirmed, can, new confirmation young people. And all of a sudden, Gilberto's grandmother and she's just this short little 
uh, Puerto Rican woman, jumps onto the kneeler. And they say to raise your hands up to uh, all the, con the candidates. And so everybody raises their hands. She raises two hands. And then she immediately looks, because that's why she was on the lead, kneeler. She had to look to see which one of them was her grandson. And she immediately points both of them across the room to her grandson. And I'm like sitting here, wow. <laughs> you know. And there was nothing fake about this. This woman wasn't doing that because she wanted to show the people in the congregation how faithful she was. She pointed those arms at her grandson. I could see the positive energy going from her fingertips to his head. I know that she believed not only was that blessing gonna go into his head and straight down into the depths of his soul, I know that she believed this, and she was doing it authentically. She was doing it because she loved God, because she wanted to share her positive energy with her grandson. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I want to be. That's how I want to celebrate. And in the ride home with my family, I said, in the car ride home, I told my family what I had seen, and I said, from here on out, boys, I am going to start being that passionate and that authentic and that enthusiastic about my faith at home and at church. From now on, I'm a different person. So just that little example from one person, she has no idea she had that kind of effect on me. She has still to this day has no idea. I mean, I never told her. I mean, I just told my family. And I started to kind of change who I was. That was part of my journey, who, how I was going to celebrate. And I started to come out of the closet, but I really didn't come out totally out of the closet. It was just within my family and within my church. Uh, with regards to my friends and my extended family members and other people, I started to come out of the closet after the Christ Our Life Conference in 2012. With the new evangelization, which is really kind of cool about this, no one's asking us to convert or recruit people to Catholicism. There's no recruiting here. There's no conversion. That's not our jobs. That's the priest's jobs. That's God's job. That's not our job. But rather, all they're simply asking us to do is to bring others closer to God through our personal interactions, through our moments of engagement, and by giving careful consideration to the ideas, emotions, and memories that those moments of engagement create. I love that about our church. And that's kind of what this talk is about. I'm going to try to give you some tools and strategies that I've used, or in some cases wish I had used, to connect and engage with my family and friends while trying to remain faithful to the person that God wants me to be and maybe bring them a little closer to our Heavenly Father. Pope Francis says as Christians... <laughs> As Christians, we can't be pessimists. We shouldn't look like someone in constant mourning. If we truly love, or if we are truly in love with Christ and sense how much he loves us, our hearts should lighten up with joy. And this joy will spread to those around us. I'm sorry. Let us, oops. Did I hit something? No, but, uh, 
Yeah, I bet you're right. <laughs> so yeah, I can I can yell. I'm 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 powerful. <laughs> I have a good voice. Uh, let us be. Let us be the example of drifters and two drifters and seekers that God truly exists. Let's cast our egos aside, along with our arrogance, and approach them with kindness and understanding. Pope Francis says as believers, okay, as believers, we shouldn't stay inside the pen with the other 99. We're supposed to go out and seek that lost sheep, the one that strayed the farthest. In my opinion, that's kind of like the drifters. Okay, we're supposed to go out and seek that lost sheep. And he says, the one that's drifted the farthest. I, 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 unfortunately, I'm afraid in today's world, there's more than one, okay? And maybe it's because we haven't done our job before this time. I don't, I'm not quite sure. But going outside that pen, thank you, Chris, to the outskirts, like Pope Francis calls it, is really scary because we expose ourselves to people who will question us and challenge us. Remember, they think that we're hypocrites. They think we're totally out of touch. They think the word is irrelevant. I beg to differ, but they do. Sometimes they even go so far as to try and tear down everything that we believe in. If we are going to go out and try to create meaningful connections with that lost sheep, we're going to need to leave the confines, the safe confines of our faith community and stretch out our hand to those in need. And when I say needy, once again, it's the spiritual needy. And we're going to need some directions on how to do this. One of the most important tools, and I think this is really interesting because one of the most important tools when we leave the pen that we have is prayer. Prayer and patience. Patience is huge too. Instead of patience, maybe we should say timing. And at this moment, I'll just kind of tell you that when the archbishop talked about the giving the pasta to the, to the person and that the person wasn't really ready to hear his answer when he asked, what does the good news mean? And he said, you know, he just went on to serving other people pasta because the archbishop understood that the timing wasn't right. Not that that guy isn't going to ask that question some other time, but that wasn't the right timing. So a lot of times, instead of I'll say patience, or I'll also say the timing's not right. Just those are those are key words to me. Those are my clue words. You know, do I want to engage? I never want to engage with someone in a negative way. Period. Never. There's nothing more beautiful than holiness. Not that I'm holy, but you know, I mean that's from Matthew Kelly. Um, I'm going to go off the cuff once again, too. The Blessed Virgin Mary gives us an example. You know, she gives us a wonderful example. When everybody, when they were going through those streets and he was carrying that cross, did you see, did you, have we heard about her being ugly and her standing in front? I mean, as a mother of my son, if that was my son, I'll tell you what, you'd have a hard time getting through me. And I would end up looking really bad. You know, I would end up looking very mean and all of that. I think she gives us a good example. When we are walking through struggles or, or, or messy times in our lives, you know, I'm not so sure that we're supposed to always, you know, go all that way. I think sometimes you back off and you say, I need patience or the time's just not right now. It's all about planting seeds and sometimes that seed just needs a little more time. 
Okay, now I'm sorry, I've got to go back. Okay, so one of my favorite prayers actually comes from that statement that the Blessed Mother, uh, the message in, in 2012 at Medjugorje, she says, you are calling me because you need me. I accept that she doesn't say that. I have, I've created the prayer, actually. She says, I am calling you, but I converted it into a prayer for myself to the Blessed Mary, okay? So it says, you are calling me because you need me. I accept this mission, and I will not be afraid. You will strengthen me. You will fill me with your graces. With your love, you will protect me from the evil spirit. You will be with me. With your presence, you will comfort me in difficult moments. I say that prayer almost daily. Because going out into the world, you know, like, like the archbishop called it, is difficult. It's scary. But we have to remember that that's what we have behind us. Oh my gosh, isn't that a great shield? Isn't that great, pushing us out there and, and understanding that? Yep. Uh, and I can send it to Pete, and he can put it on the website. So it's because it's longer than this. I actually have it in my thing. But it says, you are calling me because you need me. Now remember earlier she called them uh, those of your children who have not yet come to know the love of the Heavenly Father. Okay, so do you see how she categorized them, how she divined them for us? It's not that they're bad people. It's not They just don't know the love of the Heavenly Father at this moment in time in their life. And then she says, you are calling me because you need me. I accept this mission, and I will not be afraid. You will strengthen me. You will fill me with your graces. You will love, with your love, you will protect me from the evil spirit. You will be with me. With your presence, you will comfort me in difficult moments. So we're going to have the difficult moments, especially when we go out there. We're going to have the difficult moments. But we have something pretty good behind us that's going to comfort us in the end. Father Carl Reese says, there's a reason that the, that it, uh, there's a reason the words be not afraid appear in the Bible 365 times. It's as if God knew that we would need to read those words every day of our life. Be not afraid. I go before you. Come follow me. I will bring you peace. I cannot tell you how many times I've shared this statement with believers and seekers when they're in difficult times. And I revisit it all the time in my life. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. I go before you. That's a tool that I have. That's a tool you can use. Another valuable tool comes from Father Robert Barron's now, Bishop Behrens, have any of you guys watched his video series on Catholicism? Isn't that great? Oh my gosh, keep going back to it. Uh, in this series, he gives us a great tool to use when we're in those crossroads, those, those messy times, those messy situations, where it's really hard to discern that if the person coming at us or, or the crossroad is a road to God or if it's where we are and you're kind of getting confused because we are human and we don't know all the answers and sometimes they ask us kind of silly questions and we're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I don't know how to answer this and if I should answer it. So Bishop Barron says that if it's true, if it's good, and if it's beautiful, it has a relationship with God. So I use that all the time. Is Life gets really messy, especially when you're out on the edge. 
So in order to bring some semblance, in order for me to be able to discern, I use that. I will say to myself, is it true? And let me tell you, I have to really, that's kind of a hard one for me because I have my own truths, ask my children. <laughs> so sometimes I have to really kind of go back to the Bible and find out if it's his truth or my truth because they're not always the same. So we want to make sure that when we're thinking about is it true, is it God's truth, okay? Not your own personal truth. And is it good? And I do this a lot of times, I'll say, okay, is, is it for the common good, you know? Is, is it good? Is it, is it going to move someone forward? And then his thing is, is it beautiful? And I feel like, I don't know, um, we haven't really talked about it, but I'm an artist. And so I use the artist definition. You know how sometimes you see those paintings out there in the world and people call it art and it's like a piece of, it's a big black blob and nothing more than that. And you're going like, is this art? <laughs> So the artist doesn't always define art as beauty, okay, as beautiful. But um, the, the artist does define art, beauty, the beauty of art, even that black blob, as something that inspires someone or something that enlightens someone. And it has to enlighten and inspire someone to grow or to move forward. Then it's considered beautiful. So I use that definition when it doesn't have to look pretty. It's not necessarily athletically, or I'm sorry, as aesthetically pleasing, but it does inspire or enlighten, and it moves us forward. And that's what beautiful, I think the word beautiful really means. If I can answer yes to all these parts, then I know it has a relationship with God. And the next thing I need to do is I have to be open because it's a totally different way of thinking or seeing. And so I'm questioning it because I'm thinking, well, that's not my way of thinking and seeing. So I have to open myself up to, to a new way of opening and see, thinking and seeing. Because everybody out there in the world, you know, they're still children of God. They're all, they're all bad people, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, so we've got to be open to their way of seeing, too. We need to be able to connect with them on with their words and the way they're seen. And we're not going to be able to do it when we're using just our words. We're going to have to use their words, too. In, his, in the book, The Church of Mercy, uh, Pope Francis calls us to stretch out our hand and to, to those in need stretch out our hand to those in need and do this without calculation but with tenderness and understanding i love that word calculation so many of us are so proud to be able to calculate we're proud to be in control we're proud about how we can organize and put on an event like this you know isn't that great look at these talents and everything which that i have i'm sharing them and all of that but when pope francis says that he doesn't want us to be calculative calculate He's talking about when we're out in the world, once again, with our drifters and our seekers and our non-believers. And he says we need to do this without calculation and without tenderness. Um, to calculate means to control. It means to decide what will happen. And we all know that we're not in control. So we need to do this just by being tender and understanding. Uh, but when you live amongst drifters and seekers, especially the drifters part of the equation, you will lose every time you try to calculate or manipulate. God is not, they know, God is not calculative and God is not manipulative. Remember how the Blessed Virgin Mary defined these people, those of your children who have not yet come to know the love of your Heavenly Father. God is tender, God is understanding, 
God is love. And honestly, that's all we need to be when we're out there with them. All we need to be is tender and understanding, and we'll be bringing God to them. In their world, everyone is calculated. Or they perceive everyone to be calculated. So that's why all we need to be is tender, understanding, and we will be bringing God to them. Just last Saturday, now I'm going to give you an example of uh, how I was calculated just last Saturday. And I'm giving you this example, so I'm hoping that you'll be able to see yourself in it more than anything else. Uh, in the summer, on Saturday afternoons, my husband and I race sailboats, or he races them. I assume the role of spectator, and I'm on the rescue boat. We live in Clear Lake, and there's a small sailing club there with which we have been a member for on and off for since 1978. My job when my husband sails is to follow the, the race course a safe distance away just in case someone has problems or in case they need me. And actually, all I do is I kind of just run over there if they have problems because I don't know how to solve the problems. I know nothing about it. I just kind of, my son had problems last year, and basically he swam over to my little boat. It's a little boat that he can hop into easily, and he says, Mom, move. <laughs> and so I just get out of their way, and they take over. But it, right, we righted the boat up, and everything was fine. So uh, Clear Lake has been a large part of my life since I was a child. We grew up in Clear Lake and took all of our family vacations there in the summer. In 2002, when my mother retired, she moved up to Clear Lake uh, to help me uh, raise my family. Then three boys, three small boys at that time, and she built a two-bedroom home on the lake, not far from where we lived. By 2011, my boys were grown. My mom moved back to Des Moines. Then, then, because my brother had just had a son and she wanted to get close to that grandson. When, when in Clear Lake, we shared many of the same friends. My mother passed away in 2014, and so many of the memories that I have with her are very special to me, the ones that we had in Clear Lake. I really didn't know how special, because it just happened in 2014, until last Saturday. In 2002, uh, we kind of helped my mother build that house by providing advice and assistance. Uh, and the gentleman who just bought it, just recent, who bought it from her, passed away, and so then it just sold again. And for several months, we've been seeing this house change and the siding's coming off. And I'm really glad the siding came off because I didn't like the color of the siding that she had put on it. That's another story. Um, and so last Saturday, I noticed he was out in his backyard, and I ran over to, I decided to pull over and to kind of introduce myself and tell him you know, who I was and how happy we were that he was in Clear Lake and he bought the house. Well, uh, I calculated that, right? I thought, this is gonna be so nice, and I'm, I'm so joyful, and I'm such a nice person, and he's gonna be really happy to see me, and all this. I walked up and I introduced myself to him, and he says, oh, so it's your mother I have to blame for the $40,000 that I had to invest into putting a new foundation in this house. You know, and I'm looking at him and she, he goes, uh, I heard that she, if she had put, yeah, I, I heard that if he had put, uh, if she had put the basement in at that time, it would have only cost her $6,000. But instead of spending the $6,000, now I have to spend $40,000 in order to do it. And I'm sitting here going, 
Liam, that's not what I had expected at all, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so I'm sitting here like, oh great, you know, now what do I say to that? And he gets a phone call, his cell phone rings, and he goes, I'm a doctor, I have to go take this phone call. And so he leaves. And I'm like, <laughs> good thing I didn't have to reply. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a calculated response at that moment in time. So I go back to my boat and I go out to the race course and I'm all by myself, right? I have plenty of time to calculate a response. And I am not kidding, I am in there getting it ready, baby, bring it on. <laughs> and so I'm calculating this response and you know, but he's not there, right? So what do I do? I do what all, you know, all humans do. I go over to my friend's boat and I said, I can't believe that guy that lives, who she just happens to live a few doors down from him. So I can't believe what he just said to me. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And I can't wait to see him. Is he going to be at the picnic tonight? Do you know? And she goes, no, I don't think he is. And I go, oh my gosh, I had this, you know, I, I know exactly what I'm going to say to him. I'm going to say this. And I shared it with her. And she's like sitting there laughing. And she goes, yeah, I've heard he's a little bit hard to get along with. You know, he might be a little bit grumpy. Isn't she nice? <laughs> And I'm sitting here going, yeah. thank God he's not going to be at the picnic. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid what I would have said to him. And I'm realizing that, you know, we all have our trigger points. That was mine. I'm typically, you know, I try not to be that way. And, you know, I, I literally drove up to her boat and shared it with someone else. I mean, that's so wrong. <laughs> that's so wrong. And I'm sitting here going, thank you, you know, and uh, that, that I didn't have to. But when you go out into the outskirts, that's what's going to happen. You are going to be thrown into these situations that's just going to hit one of your trigger points, and you're going to go way out in left field. And so we will be challenged, and we will be thrown off kilter. So that's just to give you an example of, you know, that's why we need these these tools that I'm trying to give you to be prepared to go out there and realize that you're going to do it. And, you know, thank God that I have a little time to, you know, to, to cool down and to realize that I should not go up there to, with a calculated response to him. A year ago, I was going through rough times, um, or a couple of years ago, I guess, with some colleagues, and a friend gave me some great advice, and I held on to it through the stormy weather. She said, be true to yourself. She said, don't let them change who you are. And I think that's kind of interesting because I've given that advice a million times to my own kids and to some of my friends that were going through challenges. But when you're going through it yourself, it's, you're, you're, you're clouded and you don't remember those things. If we're going to stretch out our hand to the needy and to those lost sheep, to the spiritual needy and those lost sheep, we're going to need new ways of thinking and seeing Oops, there's the tender and understanding, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to need uh, to be true to ourselves. Uh, we're going to need new ways of thinking and seeing. We're going to need to be open. We're going to need to be true to ourselves. And we're going to need to do it without calculation and with, with tenderness and understanding. Archbishop Garcia Siller says drifters drift away slowly because their spiritual needs aren't being met. I've noticed with most drifters that either they're angry with themselves, they're angry with their families, they're angry with the church, or maybe they're just plain disengaged with life. With seekers, on the other hand, and I just want to tell you, I hope that all of us are seekers. 
I hope, just like the Archbishop says, that we all sometimes wear the hat of seeker. Seekers on the end of their hand, they have questions that need to be answered before they fully commit to their faith. Archbishop Garcia Siller says once the seeker's questions are answered, that they actually make better believers than, and because they become, they become advocates. And I would say that, you know, for those up until the 2012 Christ Our Life Conference, I would put myself under the category of seeker more than believer. And then just decide, I mean, I was, but I was a believer. But, you know, I was seeking, I was seeking those answers before I could come out and go and talk to other people, before I could go out to the drifters, and before I was really comfortable with myself. So as a witness, we've been tasked with delivering the message to drifters and seekers because they listen better to us. We don't need to change the message, the Word of God, but rather we need to change the way we say it and the way in which we deliver it. Well, as a marketing person, I've got to tell you that these two audiences are totally different. Um, that's why I wish he would have stayed on stage and given me more. We need totally different strategies for seekers than we do for drifters. With regards to people who drift away slowly, most likely they're drifting away because they've had a bad experience or, or experiences. They are children that in that moment of time do not know the love of the Heavenly Father. Imagine how lonely that is. With regards to this group, I suggest delivering the message with our actions as opposed to words. Pope Francis encourages us to be tender and understanding. I'd like to add helpful. And you know one of the best ways you can help bring joy to a person's life? It's really simple. It's a smile. That's all it is. And sometimes we're the only person smiling at them. And sometimes that's all we need and they kind of get a positive influence by us and it opens another door, okay? Or simply by being positive, by being understanding. You know, it, they give ideas to people and people are like, well, that's stupid. You know, that's not what we're, our job is. Our job is to be positive. Well, maybe it will work. I don't know. Let's try it. You know, things like that. Remember, they are living amongst people who are calculated. They are living amongst people who take from them day, each day. Be the proof that God exists. Reach out your hand and imitate the little way of St. Teresa. She's probably, you know, really important in my life. And um, just little ways. That was the value of her, I think that's what brought her to sainthood, was because she defined what little ways are and how we can use them. Whereas with seekers, you can use words and actions. If you know the answer, uh, go ahead and answer the seeker's question. Here's the problem with that, okay? Because, you know, Archbishop said something about fish sticks. Well, I was on a bus trip with a group of Catholic kids going out to Washington, D.C., or no, New York with them all, a band trip. And I gotta tell you, we had four very faithful Catholics, all raised in Catholic families, went to Catholic grade schools, went to Catholic high schools, actually, um, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I won't go into any more details than that. And the question came up of why we eat meat on Fridays during Lent, okay? And we all had four different answers, and we all thought our answer was right. And odds are, all of our answers were right. So sometimes 
We can't answer the questions. And what I always say about Lent is it gives me an opportunity, when somebody asks that, gives me an opportunity to eat lobster on a Friday. You know, that's how great Lent is. You know, it gives me an opportunity to go out to dinner. Of course, that's not the real case, but it at least keeps conversation and you know sometimes I don't know the answer I, my answer isn't right for you um, but if you can't answer the question do we need to cast our egos aside and every form of arrogance and speak authentically from our soul we are tr if we are truly in love with Christ and we sense that he loves us our heart should lighten up with joy and this joy will spread to others around us Cardinal Worrell says, act, and, and I think the Archbishop said this well too, says, act in such a way that they ask you, what brings you such joy? And you can answer, because I know the love of the Heavenly Father. Well, no offense to Cardinal Worrell, but odds are they're not going to ask you, what brings you such joy? But the question will be something like that. Why are you so peaceful? Why are you so calm? Um, and then you can give them a real life situation, a real life answer. One of my, one of the things I'm most often asked as a mother of sons is when their oldest son, from other mothers, is when their oldest son gets his driver's license and they start, it starts like something like this. They say, I've watched you from afar while you were going through the same situation and your boys were all driving also. But you seemed so calm. Why? You know, I'm going through it now, and I'm a nervous wreck. And they say to me, you know, they ask me, why is it that you were so calm? And I, I love it when they do that, because you know what? That just opened the door. Also, with seekers, don't try answering. Don't give people advice. You know, you can give your believers, but seekers and drifters, don't give them advice unless they ask. If they ask and they answer the door, or they open the door, then you can answer. So here's how I decided. When my oldest son got his driver's license, I thought, I am not going to live through this. I'm scared to death. How do people do this? And so, you know, what did I do? What do you think I did? I started praying. And I'll tell you, every time I got into a car, I turned off the radio and I started praying to the Blessed Virgin Mary to protect and guide my family. So here I am talking to a seeker, and I'm able to share that story because she observed my aunt actions from years before came to me with a question and I'm able to answer because of prayer. Isn't that great? That's how it works. That's how we plant our seeds. That's the, I think that's the scenario that's supposed to happen as, as witnesses. So I've got to tell you that today my three boys are all over the world using a variety of modes of transportation to get from point A to point B and my radio is still rarely on. So uh, remember, the definition of seekers is that they're seeking an answer, and when we're connecting with them in deeply emotional ways, we, I would use, I try to use my actions first, but then I also can follow up with words if they ask me. Drifters, they're not gonna ask questions. I, I believe, odds are they're not gonna ask you any questions because they don't really care. And if they did care, they don't think you have the answers. Just, just an FYI. So, so a lot of times I won't answer their questions. That's when I say, well, it gives me an opportunity to eat 
lobster on Fridays because they're not really asking me the question. It's, once again, patience and timing, and I'm not going to answer that question to someone that's just going to make fun of me. Or like the Archbishop did, he's just going to serve pasta to the next person until they're ready. Um, so when we're trying to connect with drifters, it is best to stick to broad topics like a belief in a higher power. Sometimes I won't even use God. I'll just say, I believe in a higher power. or I'll, But sometimes they're at a point where I feel like I can say, you know, I believe in God. You know, that's why I am or whatever. Um, the goal to connecting with drifters is to break down the barriers. St. Francis says to us that we're supposed to be artisans of peace. And I love that term because it makes us... It makes us all decide to be an artist, and I think we all should have a little more creativity and art in our life, so I love how he said that in his book. Uh, so several years ago, I realized that I, I never wear a crucifix. I never wear a cross around my neck, and odds are because, uh, because most of my jewelry art has been a gift, and they've been given to me. And so basically, I have a couple icons or a couple things that the gifts that people give me that I'll wear a necklace that has a sailboat on it or I also have a necklace that my husband gave me when our first child was born for Valentine's Day which is a little um, garnet. It's a little garnet ne necklace and I'll wear one of those or sometimes I wear a heart. So um, I told this to my parish priest and he said, well, I said, I don't ever wear a cross. And he said, well, that's because you're a coward. And you know, he, he's probably true, that's probably right. But actually, I believe I'm an artisan of peace. Because if I wear a cross, it's easy for me to connect with other believers. That opens the door to a conversation with other believers. And if I wear a cross, then it opens the door to the seekers, right? And they'll start talking to me. But if I wear a cross to the drifters, mm, closes the door. Closes the door. So I have found, and, and you know, so I mean, this is kind of like when I was reflecting, why do I connect with drifters? Why am I able to do this? Well, one of the reasons is because I don't have that barrier up. And so what I've done is I have decided that my little garnet necklace is a, um, reminds, it, it brings to me, uh, the idea that it's the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So I've kind of defined my symbols, okay, and my symbolism. They still all take me to God. They still all, I still wear them around my neck, close to my heart. And the sailboat is that I am letting God steer my sailboat, be the skipper of my boat, and the Holy Spirit be the wind that fills my sails and helps me go forward, helps me move forward. So whatever I'm wearing, and of course you can think of a heart with that, you know, surely that's easy to find a symbol for, but whatever I'm wearing, it still, to me, represents the cross. It's just not a barrier between me and someone that isn't quite there yet, okay, where the timing's not right. Sorry, Each of us are called to be an artisan of peace. We do this not by dividing, but by unifying, by extinguishing the hatred with tenderness and understanding, by opening the paths of dialogue and breaking down the walls that divide us. 
Let us show others how the love of our Heavenly Father fills our heart and brings us joy. Let's stop looking like we're in mourning and start living our faith like Gilberto's grandmother in bold, creative, and enthusiastic ways. Really, really appreciate it. And I, said, I wasn't going to announce it, but we are going to move into the church now.